Welcome back to Love Letters and Mixtapes. I am so glad you're here. This podcast explores all the things that our younger selves needed to hear, whether that was 30 years ago, three years ago, or yesterday. After you listen to this episode, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. You can also find me on Instagram at Love Letters and Mixtapes or send me an email at loveLettersandMixtapes at gmail.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, this week, I wanted to have a discussion about loving detachment. And I know that many of us can hear that term and immediately think, that has nothing to do with me, why do I need to think about that, and sort of dismiss it. Very often on this podcast, I am speaking directly to adult children of alcoholics, addiction, family dysfunction, mental health, neglect, anyone who grew up in that home where you are not allowed to be your actual age growing up. I'm speaking to those people because I am one of those people. And the concept of loving detachment was something that it took a really long time for me to integrate and align with. And there are so many reasons for that. One, there are so many misconceptions about it. But two, it goes against every single survival mechanism that you were taught growing up in order to navigate and survive that situation you were in. So for me, loving detachment very much felt as if it existed more in the area of thriving versus surviving. And I always want this podcast to be a place where we explore things that we have been very rigid or certain about, especially those things that we relied on to survive situations. And it's not about saying you were wrong in that moment. It's about saying it's okay to evolve. It's okay to grow. It's okay to choose another path. It's okay to add to your emotional toolbox and develop your skills. Let's talk about what loving detachment actually means. Is there a definition that we can work with? I think that there's a million definitions for every term out there you can find that anywhere you look, whether it's on another podcast or social media or in a book. But for me, I like the idea that detaching with love or loving detachment means caring enough about other people to allow them to learn from their own mistakes. And it also means being responsible for our own welfare, our own well-being, our own needs, and making decisions without ulterior motives or the desire to control others. I feel that loving detachment is an acceptance that we are powerless 
to control others or outcomes. And in sharing that definition, I can already feel the resistance in my own body. So I can only imagine that out there somewhere, someone's listening and saying, what are you talking about? Of course I can change something. Of course I can fix them. Of course I can help them. What's wrong with you? Why are you saying that? And I can feel the resistance because I recognize that resistance in myself. And if I'm being really honest, I think there is a particular sort of pain from growing up in a childhood where you had to convince yourself that you were all powerful. Because if you had to accept that the people around you were doing these things and they had control and they had agency and choices and money and they were adults and they could make these choices and they were choosing this, your entire world would crumble. So there's this bizarre little twist that happens where we become these young, grandiose thinkers and we believe that we have more control over situations. And if we can just crack the code and do everything right and be perfect or quiet or good or better or stronger or play mental chess and see seven steps ahead and figure everything out, if we can manipulate, then all will be well. And we have to do that because at that age, whether you're five or 10 or 15, to look around at the people who are supposed to love, nurture, and protect you and see that they simply cannot or will not do that, you just can't accept that. So you have to either think that you are wrong or bad or more in control or you could work harder or do something better and make it about yourself. And so imagine if you are doing that year after year to survive, what happens when you're an adult and you're out there in the world? You are not in these extreme situations anymore. You're just simply trying to show up for life on life's terms. But you've spent your whole life thinking everything is my fault. Everything is my responsibility. Everything is in my control. So if it goes badly, I must have failed. What happens then? And that's why we're having this conversation because no one can beat us up the way that we can beat ourselves up. There are a lot of misconceptions about this term, loving detachment, and I want to explore some of them. It's not about me convincing you that I'm so right in choosing this topic today that you really needed to hear about it. I just want to explore these topics so that we begin to look at things through a new lens. And it's a process, a process that we can rely on instead of saying everything is so certain, everything is exactly the way it is. When I first learned about it 10, 15, 20 years ago, it's about stepping back and saying, what didn't I see when I learned about this thing or felt this way or had this experience? And how can I integrate everything I know now into shifting my perspective? Personally, I really resonate with loving detachment because I feel that it offers me choice and it opens doorways. It gives me an action, a thought, a pathway, a behavior to choose from versus staying in this very reactive, contracted, anxiety-riddled space. Loving detachment says, oh, I do have options. I have options I can't even see right now. 
I trust myself. I trust the world. I trust that I don't have to follow this script in this relationship dynamic. I can step out of it and bring some awareness and some responsiveness instead of that reactivity. Instead of following the script and the story always ending the way we know it's going to end and fooling ourselves and saying, this time I'll work harder, this time I'll be better, this time I will see what you're doing seven steps ahead and I'm going to figure it out. Loving detachment allows us to respond from wisdom, to tap into our perspective and something greater than ourselves versus just raw triggered emotion. I mean, imagine if you were going through your life and you were responding to every single thing that happened around you from a state of very high anxiety, raw emotion, always going to extremes. It would make things really challenging. And for some of us, we do do that. And we have been doing that. And not just in our personal relationships. It's happening at work. It's happening with friends. It's happening in families. It's affecting our money. It's affecting our progress. So this, like every other episode I've ever made, is not about shaming ourselves. It's about offering ourselves the freedom, the breath, the space, the grace to figure out a different way of navigating the world, a different way of showing up, a different way of communicating and processing. And I want to highlight something I just touched on, and that is when someone is not treating you well, when someone is not honoring your boundaries or your need for safety, they are not going to treat you better if you work harder, if you are kinder, if you acquiesce more, if you pull back on your boundaries more, they're not going to wake up and do that. And I know that that is a very challenging concept for some of us. If you feel that you fall into the category of a people pleaser, or you experience codependency, and I know that some of these are pop culture references and words and definitions we don't all align with, but I'm trying to touch on some of the experiences we have. I always say on this podcast, I am a prolific people displeaser. So <laughs> you know that I don't 100% fall into that category, but I definitely recognize it. And I see how painful it can be, how challenging it can be, how it can impact your life and the way you see yourself and the way you see other people. And that's a really powerful lesson to learn that when people aren't treating you well, they're not going to treat you better if you work harder. And I know how confronting that can be because we are racking our brains in those moments thinking, what can I do to bring more safety into the situation? What can I do to bring more respect into the situation? What can I do to bring more kindness or more love or just calm everyone down? And so if we can't control another person, we kind of go into overdrive with ourselves and try to manipulate the situation by just being better and more. And what if we didn't? What if we just stepped back and said, that's not the role I need to play. That's not the role I want to play. That's not the role I'm here to play. I am built for so much more than acquiescing to the most challenging, difficult, harmful, hateful, hurtful emotions in the entire room. I am built for more than that. And I know that sometimes the world can give us the opposite message. 
that everything is really in our control and we can be doing so much more and we have so much control over situations and people. And listen, I'm not fighting with anyone. If that is how you live and how you feel and what you believe, then by all means, this podcast episode may not be for you or maybe it's for you so you can kind of get irritated at something and listen to what I'm saying and totally disagree with it, which is fine. But I think for a lot of us, we don't get to have that conversation where we look around and we say, I actually don't have control over other people. There's actually a limit to what my kindness can do. There is a limit to what my acquiescing can do. And maybe my boundaries are actually really healthy and helpful. And if someone is crossing them, it's not about me having to go into overdrive and shifting and changing my boundaries. Maybe it's about resting in the knowledge and the trust that my boundaries were there for a reason. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we've touched on what loving detachment is. I think it's really helpful to take a look at what loving detachment isn't. Because very often, that's where this conversation goes. I've had so many conversations about this topic in the support groups I've run and in one-on-one sessions I've done or even with friends and family members and loved ones. Because there's this almost desire to disprove this concept or theory, right? Because we're fighting for our emotional survival. We are fighting to prove that what we are doing is right. And eventually, if we just keep doing it, it will work. And so there's this almost reactive response. When you talk about loving detachment, people start to believe that you're saying, yes, reject everyone, ignore that person, neglect them, Act as if they don't matter. Act as if they don't exist. Stop loving them. Stop answering their calls. Just shut down on them. And I want to clarify here because, one, I understand the urge to think that way, to go to that extreme, because we want to affirm how we have been navigating these challenging relationships or situations. It is not easy to accept that we have been participating in something in an unhealthy way. Let's just be honest about that. That never feels good. So as we explore loving detachment, I think the word loving takes up a lot of space and we need to honor that. Loving detachment is not teaching someone a lesson. It is not slapping them on the wrist and it is not hurting them. Yes, they may feel hurt. They may feel slapped on the wrist, but that is not our goal. Because if that was our goal, we would continue to be prioritizing someone else's thoughts, feelings, needs, actions, behaviors over our own. So I believe at its core, loving detachment is a recalibration of energy. It is saying, all of that energy I've been focused on you and what you need and you want and how you feel, I'm going to bring that back to myself. I'm going to offer that to myself first. 
because I think that outpouring of energy has depleted me in some way. So when I am pouring from an empty cup, it is probably going to distort my thoughts, my feelings, my wants, my needs, my perspective. So when I bring all of that energy back to myself, I bring myself back into a state of restoration. I am grounded. I am clear. I am steady. I can see things for what they are, and I can see people for who they are, including myself. Very often when we are in these dynamics where we are giving more than we take, we can also identify as the savior, the martyr. I'm helping you. Why don't you appreciate me? I'm doing this for you. I understand that it can come from a really beautiful place of wanting to help others or fix a situation or right a relationship. But if we are doing that for someone else and we are not doing that for ourselves, what are we saying to the world and what are we saying to that other person? We're saying, I'm fine, but you're the problem. And who likes to feel like they are the problem? Literally no one. So if you're having a hard time with this conversation or this episode, I would encourage you to sit with that, to think for a moment about how you are being perceived by others in these situations. If you are constantly pointing your finger and criticizing and trying to fix and help and prevent and manipulate in some way, how is that being perceived by the other person? Is that wasted energy? Is that how you want to spend your time on earth? Is that the fulfillment of your purpose and your human experience? Or what is the alternative? What if I nurtured myself that way? What if I cared for myself at that level? What if I constantly shifted that attention to myself and filled my own cup? I'm sure I've said on this podcast before and you've heard in a million different places from an Al-Anon meeting to media to social media to TV shows, but what do they say on an airplane when there is a drop in pressure or a situation is escalating? They say, put on your own air mask first, no matter who is sitting next to you, no matter if it's your child, no matter if it's someone who's really struggling, you have to put on your own air mask first. You need the oxygen to show up for yourself and then to help anyone else. And so that really challenges our grandiosity of thinking of like, no, 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 I have endless stuff to give. I have endless energy. I have endless feedback. I have endless ideas. And I never have to take care of myself because I can always take care of you. And as overused as that air mask analogy is, I think it is so helpful and it's so visual I encourage you in this moment to pause for a second and say, when have I had a difficult time doing that? In what relationship situation dynamic do I struggle to put my own air mask on first? And what happens in that situation? And how do I feel? And is that what I want? And I think one of the messages that I really want to drive home is that loving detachment does not mean you stop caring about the other person. That's not what it means. And it doesn't make you selfish. It doesn't make you self-centered. But what it does mean is that you are not going to turn yourself inside out to protect someone from the lessons that they are here to learn. 
from the consequences that belong to them. And I think it's pretty egoic for us to think that we should be preventing someone else from growing in their own experience and journey. And I do recognize how painful it can be. It can be absolutely excruciating. And there's this thing that happens in our mind and we think, I'll just keep going. I'll just keep doing more. Let me just keep going down this path. I'll protect them from that. I'll fix this other thing. But ultimately, if we continue to choose to do that, what are we doing to the other person? And in some way, are we harming them and convincing ourselves that we are helping them because we are expelling all of this energy to manage our own discomfort over someone else's choices? And I know for a fact that me sitting in my house on a beautiful, sunny Sunday morning talking about loving detachment is not the same as when you are watching someone else destroy their life. It is an absolute privilege to sit here and talk about this in theory. And it is so much different when you are boots on the ground in a relationship watching someone hurt themselves. And you think, oh, I'll just protect them from this one bullet. I will save them from this one situation. Oh, you have no idea what's going to happen to them if this goes wrong. I can protect them. I know it's different, and that's why we're having this conversation, so that we can plant seeds in ourselves about self-worth, about what we are meant to do, about who we are meant to be. And I don't believe that there is a single person on this earth whose sole purpose is to save someone else who is harming themselves. I do not think that that is your role. I think we can love people. I think we can be kind to them, we can be nurturing, we can be helpful, but we cannot destroy our lives to prevent someone else from destroying theirs. I mean, I'm listening to myself talk and I know these things to be true in my own life and I know it can sound really harsh. I recently heard someone say, you can't save a damsel in distress if they absolutely love, need, crave their distress. It really resonated, and I think every single one of us can relate to that, thinking, I'm going to help this person. I'm going to love them into loving themselves, and it's a lot different when someone is trapped in their own cycle, and how is us constantly intervening, constantly preventing them from learning lessons, constantly preventing them from developing the strengths and the skills to dig themselves out of a hole? How is that affecting things? Because I can almost already hear the feedback from people that, of course, you can love people into loving themselves, but what makes you think it's your job? That's my question. What makes you think that you had to be here and figure out all of these things for yourself living in this world, but you are here to prevent someone else from having to experience those things? And who said that there's something negative about learning lessons? When we learn our own lessons, we very often don't have to repeat them. But when someone sits there telling us a story or acting something out for us, it rarely resonates. I think that there's also a deeper topic here about self-worth. I could probably go into that and talk about that for six hours, but I guess I'll just say that if no one else in your life is telling you this, I will tell you this. There is not a single person on earth who is more valuable than you, who is worth more than you, 
who is here for you to sacrifice yourself. That is not why you are here. And if someone is choosing not to learn from love, not to learn from respect or boundaries, then I promise you they will learn a lesson another way. And it's not up to you to control that. And I could imagine someone listening to this episode and saying to themselves, yeah, 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 that's all well and good, but you've never been in my situation. You've never been in my shoes. You've never had to deal with this. You've never had the worst case scenario happen. And I promise you, the worst case scenario does happen sometimes. So this entire discussion is not about you choosing yourself and respect and boundaries and everything working out perfectly. Sometimes things go horribly, and I can say that because I am uniquely qualified to talk about that. I am little miss worst case scenario, and I have had to implement these boundaries and navigate consequences and watch people in my life really struggle. And it has not been easy, and it is not something I would have chosen for myself. But what it did do was remind me of my worth, that I am here to take up space. I am not here as a sacrificial lamb so that someone else can burn their life to the ground. I'm not kindling in someone else's fire, and neither are you. And it can feel so different for each of us. Our mind will tell us, no, my situation is unique. My situation is especially terrible. You don't get it. That's what our mind says to us, and it isolates us, and it prevents us from connecting with other people who have had similar experiences and who have developed these tools and muscles. But I promise you, there are people out there experiencing exactly what you've experienced. They are feeling exactly what you felt. And their situation could be similar and it could be different. It could be the parent who is so enmeshed and narcissistic and very controlling. It can be a sibling who has an alcohol problem. It can be a partner who struggles with substance abuse. It could be your husband or your wife who is spending money or gambling and burning your lives to the ground. It can be someone acting out sexually and that is destroying their life and your life. It can be someone having no boundaries. It can be someone pathologically lying to you. It can be someone self-sabotaging so badly that you can't eat or sleep because you are so stressed wondering what they're going to do next. And I probably haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg on all of the situations out there, but I'm sharing some of those to let you know that other people have experienced them as well. And that something in your mind is telling you that you are alone, that you need to be isolated, and it's all on you to fix this. I disagree with that. I think you deserve community. I think you deserve connection, affirmation, and support. And I encourage you, no matter what situation you are dealing with, to seek that out and to maybe stick with it even when it doesn't feel good. I so often have that conversation with people when they talk to me about attending therapy or attending a support group or a 12-step group. Those first few sessions or meetings are absolutely brutal. Every single cell in your body is going to tell you, I don't need these people. I don't connect with them. I don't agree with them. I haven't done the worst thing on earth like that guy did. I am not as bad as them. I don't belong here. And I encourage you to find places where your story can be affirmed. 
your thoughts and feelings and trusting in the power of that. And I think trust is a really important word when we talk about loving detachment because our sense of trust and safety has probably been distorted if we're at this point where we maybe want to consider detaching with love. We have lost trust in ourselves, in the universe, in another person, and we are trying to manipulate and go above and beyond to course correct. And I think practicing loving detachment and scaling it up, not saying I'm going to go full in first day, make this work, just every single day sprinkling in a boundary and some loving detachment into the relationships in your life and see where that takes you. And see how your relationship with trust shifts. See where your energy shifts and what it feels like to come out of fight or flight. It doesn't always feel good. I want to be honest about that. If you have existed in fight or flight and survival mode for so long, that hypervigilance where you're constantly looking outside of yourself, scanning the room, or fixating on another person, it does not automatically feel good. When you begin to scale back, it feels like something is wrong. It feels like you forgot something in your house. It feels like you might have left the gas on. That feeling of anxiety rises to the surface because all of this energy you have been channeling in one direction now is unsure of where to go. And it's up to you to course correct it and say, I'm going to point it towards something in my own life. I'm going to invest in myself. And no, that's not selfish because what happens when you do that? You can give more. You can show up for the people in your life. And maybe, just maybe, you can show up for the people in your life that you have overlooked because you probably have. If you've been in that state of hypervigilance and fixating on another person and all the problems you're going to fix, you've probably overlooked some really important relationships and dynamics in your daily life because they haven't been in the extreme. So it seems like they don't need your attention. And what happens to us when we no longer direct our energy towards the people we think, quote unquote, need us? What happens when we just show up where we are wanted or welcomed? Now, I never think that this podcast is an emotional prescription. I'm not going to fix anything. I am just a voice in your headphones trying to encourage you and support you and create conversation about these things. Maybe I'm not right. Maybe I got it all wrong. But maybe this podcast sparks a conversation for you with someone else in your life that you trust. And part of that conversation is, how do we actually do this? What does that look like? And I wanted to offer some things that I personally find helpful. I think the number one thing is to identify boundaries. Now, most people would say, just set boundaries. And I'm like, ah, uh, yeah, but do we even know what our boundaries are? And if we've been existing in this state of reactivity, we probably need to dial it back a bit, center ourselves, and actually think about what we want and need. So I would say identify your boundaries and explore that. Do some work around that. Find another podcast episode where someone explores what do healthy boundaries sound like. They may sound different than you think they do. Healthy boundaries are not threats, no matter what anyone on social media tells you. Healthy boundaries are actually very beautiful and safe 
and they sound different. And to expand on that, another thing I would suggest is making room for your own feelings, making room for all of them, not just the ones that you think are acceptable, creating some kind of space where you can ground in contemplative thought without the noise of the world and check in with yourself. Because I think for so many of us, we don't even know how we feel about something. And we think, all right, I'm just going to go with the first thought that comes in my head. But what if we unpack it and we keep peeling back the layers to see, well, where does that come from? And where does that thought come from? And where does that feeling come from? And the next thing I would mention is an experience of release from someone else's life. And that is going to show up in some key ways. Number one, not holding yourself responsible for fixing or saving someone else. And that can be simply looking in the mirror every morning and saying, I am not responsible for so-and-so's mistakes. I am not responsible for so-and-so's choices. I am not responsible to fix or save them. We can immediately tell ourselves, well, I've had this realization. I've got to go tell that person. <laughs> and I think it's really not about anyone else. I will always bring it back home, bring it back to ourselves and say, if I can't convince myself of this, I'm not going to convince anyone else. Another part of this is allowing the other person to experience the natural consequences of their choices. And I think a good example of that is, what if you just turned your phone off for a day? I'm not saying actually do it. I'm saying what would be the natural consequences in someone else's life if they couldn't get in touch with you, if you couldn't fix it, if you couldn't change it, if you couldn't intervene? What would happen? And make space for that possibility in your life. And that can mean starting small. Again, nothing here is extreme, but starting small and saying, I am not responsible for this. You can experience that consequence. We all experience consequences. It is how we learn. It is a very natural state. And this other person in your life deserves the opportunity to experience them. You see what I said there? They deserve the opportunity to experience their consequences. And the final part of this topic I would touch on is not giving advice when no one asked for your advice. <laughs> I think that that can be a very concrete step that we can take is just maybe not saying that thing that we want to say, maybe not speaking about something we don't know about, maybe not holding that other person to a standard that they don't hold themselves to. And that can be really challenging, right? That power of silence, that power of pause, maybe writing down everything you want to say instead of saying it. And so that energy and that impulse still has a direction it can go in, but it doesn't have to be shared with the other person. Some more things that we can do for ourselves in these situations is focusing on what is in our control. So on this podcast before, I've shared that my friend Dan said, whenever you feel like you want to change something in the world or change something in someone else, how about you just go and clean your sock drawer? How about you just go and wash your car? And I love that advice. It could be literal, it could be figurative. But what it is is saying, whenever I have that impulse to do something outside of myself, what if I just dialed it back for a second and said, 
could probably clean up something in my own life first. Maybe there's something intoxicating about exerting control over someone else's life. And maybe I could just dial it back a little. Another part of that is not catastrophizing. And I'm saying this with a lot of empathy and a lot of gentle kindness because I do this myself. I mean, I'm the number one offender of imagining the worst case scenario. And that is a practice for us to no longer get high on our own supply of imagined catastrophe and not sitting there ruminating about it and thinking instead, what if? And thinking about the possibilities about how something can turn out better than we could have imagined. And the very strange thing that happens when we do this is we start to see how our interference was not needed for things to recalibrate, for things to turn out well. Man, is it humbling because we realize when we see these things unfold that very often our solutions to the problems have been worse than the problems themselves. And like I said, that is pretty humbling. And the final thing I will say on this topic is about the importance of emotional sobriety and serenity. And I've talked about emotional sobriety many times on this podcast. You can look through some of the episodes. I think I've done about three episodes on emotional sobriety specifically. But I believe that emotional sobriety is the ability to meet calamity and opportunity with serenity. And serenity doesn't mean you are overjoyed at something. It means you are finding a position of neutrality, of peace, of surrender, and honoring that you cannot control everything going on around you. And while that can sound really limiting and frustrating, I promise you that there is so much freedom and liberation in that. And it's a daily practice. It's not a one-time thing. Oh, I never have to revisit that. I often experience multiple opportunities in any given day to practice emotional sobriety. And I welcome it even when I am miserable about it, but I see the benefit of it. And I trust that all of us listening right now have the capacity to exercise emotional sobriety. I wanted to close this episode by sharing a few lines by Melody Beattie. And I encourage everyone listening to take a moment after this episode to look that piece up. Property Lines by Melody Beattie. And she says, A helpful tool in detachment is learning to identify who owns what. Then we let each person own and possess his or her rightful property. If some people don't like themselves, that is their choice. Their choices are their property, not ours. What people choose to say and do is their business. What is our property? Our property includes our behaviors, problems, feelings, happiness, misery, choices, and messages. Our ability to love, care, and nurture. Our thoughts, our denial, our hopes, and dreams for ourselves. Whether we allow ourselves to be controlled, manipulated, deceived, or mistreated is our business. In recovery, we learn an appropriate sense of ownership. If something isn't ours, we don't take it. If we take it, we learn to give it back. 
let other people have their property and learn to own and take good care of what's ours. Today, I will work at developing a clear sense of what belongs to me and what doesn't. If it's not mine, I won't keep it. I will deal with myself, my issues, and my responsibilities. Until next time, make sure to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast listening platform. Maybe send this episode to someone in your life who would resonate with it. I truly hope it sparks a conversation between the two of you. And maybe you can take a moment to like, rate, follow, and review this podcast, or send me an email at loveletters and mixtapes at gmail.com.